0: There's a new data source that can help us understand and engage clinical trial participants, data collected passively through wearables, devices, apps, and sensors. Imagine being able to gather last-minute data directly from patients, monitor adherence to a protocol outside of brick-and-mortar walls, and enroll patients into a study within 24 hours. All of these scenarios are possible in the digital era of medicine. Welcome to this Clinical Informatics News podcast. I'm Allison Prophet, editor of Clinical Informatics News. Today we'll explore new methods of integrating data from wearables, sensors, and apps into a study to develop novel endpoints, predict disease onset and progression, and optimize study recruitment and protocol compliance through digital channels. Helping us dig into this are Jesse Gisola and Luca Foschini, both of Evidation Health. Welcome. Hi there.
1: Hello.
0: So let's start with introductions. Tell me who you are and what your role is at Evidation. So, my name is
2: Jessie Jusla. I have a PhD in industrial engineering with a focus on health policy modeling. Prior to Evidation, I had worked in healthcare consulting as well as diagnostics, and now at Evidation, I lead our health outcomes research team. At Evidation, what we're really doing is focusing on quantifying health outcomes through digital means and really the intersection of behavioral data with health outcomes data. We have a study platform where we run digital studies, and it's really kind of about that direct connection to the study participant and the individual and all the different data types that you can gather and the new ways you can view patients and the new things you can learn about them via digital means. And we'll kind of get into more of that throughout the course of this podcast.
1: Thank you. This is Luca. I'm a co-founder and chief data scientist of Evidation at Evidation that take care of anything that has to do with data, so data collection, the studies that Jesse was mentioning, what is the device, the app, the data source, really, that we want to target for measuring a specific outcome. That is something that my team works together with Jesse's team and our pharmaceutical clients to define what source we should look at once the data is collected, it needs to be cleaned and normalized, and at that point, it's ready for inferences, so we're trying to understand for these new data streams that comes from what are largest defined the Internet of Things to understand if there are changes in health outcomes that are measurable. So changes that relate to degrees, uh, disease status, and progression. So we take care of doing those analysis. In the spare time, like, like Jesse was mentioning, we try also to publish a lot of the research that we do, and specifically we've published work on infrastructure to collect data from Internet of Things devices and apps at scale. And in general, research about behavioral psychology to increase uptake and compliance on Studies and in general research about the national field of digital epidemiology.
0: So how do you run health outcome studies using data from wearables and sensors and apps? We run
2: our studies mainly purely virtually. Sometimes they're a bit hybrid where it would start out with an in-person interaction, either at a clinic site or sometimes at some other sort of facility site, or we've done home visits in the past, et cetera. But really the crux of it is the virtual participation of the participants. We have a study platform where we can screen, consent, enroll people purely electronically. We then can collect data through lots of different means, some digital, some non- digital and Luca can speak more to that but really it's about bringing the clinical trial into the tech age and so it's no longer that you only can participate in studies via this clinic site and it's these academic centers that are doing all this research it's really making research a lot more accessible and the types of data that we are collecting become a much broader set and much more rich data sets. We have a platform called Achievement where anyone can kind of go sign up and participate in their health outcomes and wellness. And as part of that, one of the opportunities people get is to participate in studies. So our study platform is kind of built on top of this consumer community that anyone can participate in and then have the option as well to then be in a study. Luca, do you want to speak more to the data types?
1: Definitely. So like Jesse was mentioning, the new data that we're collecting is really just meant to complement what already has been done and used in medicine for centuries. The only problem with data collected before the internet, before connected devices, is that it was very sporadic. So people would have an option to give a data point only when they had an interaction with point of care and that will be maybe there'll be between weeks between any two consecutive interactions. Now, with connected devices and apps, we have the chance to really have a continuous feed of data down to the second or even sub-second resolution, and that allows us to make inferences about trends and changes much more quickly and accurately than we could do
2: before.
0: So you recently announced a large-scale pain study. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So that's
2: our DISCOVER project, which stands for Digital Signals in Chronic Pain. And what we're doing is purely virtual study targeting enrollment of about 10,000 people, both people who suffer from chronic pain and those who don't. We are collecting various types of data from them, but really with the end goal, being able to develop some digital signals for things like chronic pain severity, flare-ups potentially of pain quality of life etc. So this will be an observational study that people can enroll in and there'll be kind of different ways that they'll participate in the study. There'll be some surveys, different subgroups will be asked to participate in some different procedures as well such as voice collection. Everyone will be contributing sleep and activity data from trackers and wearables that they're using. And really, so we'll be tracking these people over the course of a year, collecting some self-reported data as well, and then really kind of bringing this rich research data set out of it.
0: So you said this project's going to go over the course of a year. Where does it stand now? Where are you in the enrollment process?
2: Now we just recently launched this. We are going to be turning up the speed on recruitment soon, and we're targeting to enroll in about a couple months period, which is very, fast kind of in the clinical world. Most people think of studies as taking years to enroll in thousands of subjects or hundreds of subjects, and we're talking about 10,000 subjects in a couple months.
0: So why do you think you can do that? What is it about this virtual study or this approach that's going to make that possible?
2: It's really about that ability to connect directly with the participant. You no longer are limited by site setup. you know, you're not limited by getting clinical sites on board and getting everyone trained and going through all their various site-based IRBs. Now, you really kind of have one core central experience and you can reach anyone, in this case, anyone in the U.S. So, you really just have the ability to set up and ramp up very quickly. You also just have access to more representative populations. You can imagine with traditional clinical studies, you're getting a certain subgroup of people who are in a clinic setting who see the types of physicians who are running research, et cetera, here, everyone's online. Pretty much everyone these days has mobile access, has a smartphone, or has a computer or something, and so we can access really any of those people, and so it really allows you to recruit very quickly and recruit very representative populations.
0: So Matt, second, how are you going to do this question? You listed a ton of data that you plan on collecting from a bunch of different sources, and... Luca said down to the second data collection, which is just going to give you an incredible volume. How are you going to manage that?
1: Yeah, this is one of the challenges. And the good thing about Evidation is that we are a tech company that's helping help and improving clinical processes. So really big data and automatic decision making that comes from AI permits everything we do. So the data collection of know down to the second resolution streams of data that comes from thousand patients might seem an overwhelming tasks in healthcare and in the clinical world and in fact it is in general but in the tech world that's not even considered big data to some extent so there are infrastructure that have been built over the years internal adaptation that allows us to do the data collection seamlessly and actually ensure the level of missingness is low so ensure compliance during the study the next problem after you have all this data collected is actually how you analyze it. What kind of question do you ask about the data? And here really is where AI can show its power. Simple ideas are try to identify Factors that underpins clear up. So can you somehow predict some time in advance when an acute pain event is going to happen? And how do you aggregate and integrate all these data sources that come from context that's collected maybe through apps and the data sources that are collected through different devices to really understand if there's a change in severity at a patient level?
0: You mentioned digital biomarkers, and I think Jesse talked about recording people's voices, which I'm assuming might be connected. I think that's fascinating. Can you tell me how the technology is going to discover these and what you're going to do with them?
1: Yeah, sure. A digital biomarker is is a signal that tells us something about disease state or progression Biomarkers historically have been hard to discover because you need to collect the data from which you can mine it. But I think it's even harder at this point in time when there is so much data coming from different streams and really you can't go through it all, let's say, and just like cycled through all the possible variables that you can compute and see if any of those has a relationship with a change in the outcome. So here is really where AI can help. It can help peering through patterns more effectively and only surfacing the ones that are related to a in outcomes of your interest. And you can see those patterns as digital biomarkers. Digital biomarkers in the era of Internet of Things will be more related to changes in time, so ability to detect events or short-term changes in outcome, as much as they will be about predicting trajectory of chronic conditions, so progressions versus stability.
0: So what do you hope to find in this study? What's going to be the definition of success for this study? It's really around the concept
2: that Lucas spoke about and being able to find a digital signal in the data and really develop some sort of digital biomarker for something like chronic pain severity, flare-ups, quality of life. Hopefully there's many coming out of that, but at least something will be success, and I think even at a more basic level, even just proving that you can run this really large-scale study, that you do enroll these 10,000 people quickly and collect rich, meaningful data sets from them, I would say even from the starting point that that is success, and then all of the interesting research findings that come out of it and the potential that those give us for kind of down the road validating research and those sorts of things will kind of be cherries on top.
0: So let's take a step back. We've talked about this particular PAIN study, but how do you use digital tools to manage protocol compliance in any of the studies that you're running?
1: You can use AI in a very loose sense. AI just means automatic decision-making in a way. And so you can think about all the tools that already exist out there to manage compliance, to reach out to participants when the data is not being provided and make them powered by intelligent systems so when you have a continuous data feed from your participants for instance coming from a wearable device and you're able to detect that there's missingness so the person most likely is not charging or is not wearing the device if we're in this specific example then you can have an automatic system that can incentivize the person to go back to collect data in a variety of ways that's more than just maybe sending a notification or text messages or really alerting the clinical specialist if none of this work.
2: And I think there is, even at a more basic level, just the fact that there is data coming in and you know what is going on in this person's life on a daily basis, even before you get into the opportunities that are available that Luca was talking about, you now know if someone is complying with the protocol. If you think about kind of more traditional studies, you don't necessarily know what's going on at home. You typically don't know what's going on at home. You have this snapshot into when a person comes into their clinic visit. Maybe they don't even come to that clinic visit, and they can tell you what they were doing at home. But here now we have data coming in that is a much more objective indicator of what is going on at home. So there's then a lot of ways that you can use that. So you can do some of the more manual outreach even potentially. You can, as Luca was speaking to, develop some algorithms that will do some more high-tech types of incentivization and outreach, but really it gives you a lot more insight into what is going on with a person who is participating in the protocol and allows you to be able to better manage that and really get that rich data set at the end where you know you have the right data at the right time points from all the different
0: people in the study. What other areas can these new technologies improve other than just, you know, speeding recruitment and having a better grasp on protocol compliance?
2: The one thing I spoke about earlier is more representative populations. I think that's a really important thing. There's been a lot of areas in medicine where We know the samples have been very biased in a lot of ways. In cardiovascular, for example, it's been a lot of white men. That's not necessarily the population that's affected by cardiovascular issues. And so I think one big thing is being able to really access the people who are impacted by all these various different issues in healthcare, of which, as we know, there are many. I think additionally, there's a lot of cost efficiencies that can come out of this. Part of the speeding up recruitment is what I spoke about with not needing to set up all these sites around the country. And as we know, R&D budgets and clinical study budgets are huge. And a lot of that is a lot of the groundwork and legwork that goes into these brick-and-mortar settings. If you can really have these more centralized virtual experiences everything just becomes a lot more efficient you have data coming in through all these different means but most of them very cost efficient and so it just really brings the efficiency of research into a whole new realm
1: in addition to that one benefit really just comes from the sheer amount of data that you get longitudinally when you have so much frequency, so much density in the data over time, then you're able to understand per individual variability and per individual changes of outcome much more accurately, which means that you're able to detect changes on an individual basis versus their own baseline much more accurately, which means in turn that you can have smaller or shorter studies because you you are able to detect signals earlier and with smaller cohorts.
0: I know that lots of groups are wanting to use devices like Fitbits or Apple Watches in studies. What advice do you have for them as they try to make that work? I would say we have a lot of advice, but I think
2: a big part of it is work with the right partner. There's a lot of intricate issues that are at play here. There's a lot of nuances, so work with someone who knows what they're doing and has done this before. I think that can make it a much more fruitful and valuable experience. Also, I would say go in these types of studies with a somewhat focused research question. It doesn't have to be incredibly focused, but at least in terms of kind of what data streams are valuable that you want to collect. You don't want to try to boil the ocean. Yes, you have a lot of things available to you, but you also need to think about, again, keeping this efficient, keeping the participant burden manageable. You don't want to ask people to be wearing 10 different things at a time, for example. So I think that Just being very thoughtful about what you are collecting and putting thought into the design so that you are collecting a a set of data streams that you believe are very meaningful. And then you will have a very large, rich data set to work with, but you won't be trying to boil the ocean.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that the really, really important key point there is go in the study with, some sort of idea of a context of use. What is the specific question that you have, the specific population you want to target, and what are the implications of your findings, really, that you want to see in the long term that will inform you what kind of data you want to collect. And at that point, you realize that really the devil is in the details, like heart rate. Many devices collect heart rate, but heart rate at what frequency? Heart rate at what accuracy? Move away from blanket statements of this device is not validated or this is not right or this is much better than the other one. Really, it all applies to the specific context of use that you have at hand. And the other part of it is, like Justin was mentioning, the patient, participant, like really try to build the experience of the study around the participant that you have. So think about what their daily life is going to look like. Are they likely to charge at a three times a day or Do they need something that they can only need to charge once a week or maybe even never? Just, you know, setting and forgetting kind of the devices. Those are the things that we run into more often that they actually become a very big problem if you understand them too late in the study design because at that point you can't back off.
0: Jesse, you mentioned that companies, pharma companies, should be finding the right partners. Can you tell me what they should be looking for, what you think they should be looking for when they're looking for a partner to run a digital study?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that when we're looking at studies, you need to be running these in the right way. There are research best practices that you want to make sure are followed. So I don't think it's any partner that can do this. You want to work with a partner who's really credible, who does robust research, and is doing this in the right way in, in large part based on the participant experience, that they're designing it with that in view, that they are following best research practices, et cetera. And also, you know, someone who is able to look at it from the viewpoint of let's really crystallize the question you're trying to ask and put that context around it and understand all the different variables at play. You know, again, I think that A lot of people are very excited about digital health right now, as they should be, and a lot of people think, oh, I could just go put a Fitbit on anyone. But the reality is there's a lot of different factors at play. Some of those, which Luca has touched on, some of those just being the infrastructure that's really necessary to run a study well. You need to get the right data from the right people at the right time in order to really have a robust data set to work with, and so there has to be some amount of Structure and infrastructure and capability and experience in place there in order to do that well. You need to have that direct line, that direct connection to the participant. You need to have the experience with IRBs. You need to have the ability to monitor things like protocol compliance, data quality, and make sure that that data set that you are getting is really high quality there.
1: Yeah, I think the hardest part is really to find a partner that understands both pieces of the equation the tech piece and the clinical piece and in the specific case of real world studies where really the device that you're going to use the apps that you're going to use are going to be given to participants that will will be outside your view and your control the two parts are really intimately entangled so People that do the clinical part and run the study, they might have to deal with you know, malfunctioning devices and might have to understand something about the API behind the device. At the same time, the people that do the technology and the data analysis really need to understand, again, what we were mentioning before, what are the daily routines of the participants and how those interact with the, the clinical practice of the study itself. So it's really hard to outsource one of the two. You can be a clinical person and then outsource the tech, and you can be a tech person and outsource the clinical. And I might be biased here, but I think that at Evidation, we really have started to, like the inception of Evidation has been that of putting together clinical and by design since the very beginning. And so I'm really happy to be working with someone like Jesse that can complement me and everything that I don't understand about studies.
2: Yeah, and that really goes into play, importantly, during the design phase and then also during the analysis phase. Really coming at it with expertise in both sides is what allows you to design the right protocol and then run the analysis and and really find the meaningful pieces out of that.
0: So you've both been doing this for a while, had some virtual studies under your respective belts. What has been the most fascinating learning that you've both had from the studies that you've run and analyzed?
1: I think I have the opportunity to have fascinating learning every day. If I were to pick one, I would probably think about one of the studies that we run in the context of flu vaccination. We uh, used a wellness platform to send out to the members of this wellness platform something as simple as a 100-character push notification that uh, incentivized them to go get a flu shot. And we did see a detectable signal. So people that got the message actually had an increased likelihood to vaccinate. So that makes me really feel that you can make a change with so little in technology with less than 100 characters. And that's fascinating to me as a technologist.
2: From my perspective, there's a lot of the studies we run that are kind of around the digital biomarker concept that we've spoken about a lot. Others are actually testing different digital interventions and actually testing if those have impact on different health outcomes. And In terms of some of the fascinating learnings for me, some of them have come from the digital tools that we have actually validated in terms of impact on outcomes. So that's another type of study we run in addition to the digital biomarker type of study that we spoke to. But this would be kind of the concept of actually deploying an intervention and testing the impact on health outcomes. And we all know there's a lot of investment in digital. There's a lot of digital tools out there, but there isn't right now a lot of evidence behind necessarily a lot of these tools saying whether they work or not it makes me feel good about the way that digital health is going when i see what some of these tools actually being validated and seeing that they do have impact i think there's a ton of potential to make different tools more accessible to people to make healthcare part of your more of your daily routine versus just something you do every so often when you see the doctor but really to use technology to bring your daily life you bring disease management into your daily life, bring preventive measures into your daily life. And so in some of the studies that we've been running, some results are coming out. We've presented some results at the American Diabetes Association this past year, for example. We have a few different papers coming out very shortly in journals. And what you see is that a lot of these digital tools are impactful and they really do help people manage their disease. And I think it's really important to develop that data and make sure that that data is disseminated. And so these tools can become more widely available and Really improve healthcare for everyone and make these tools very accessible and make disease management and preventive measures very accessible
0: to people across the country. So, as virtual studies become more frequent, how do you see them evolving and what will tech's role be in that evolution? From a
2: fairly simple standpoint, I think that there just will be more and more things we're able to do. You know, at Evidation, we are a tech company, and so in our product is our study platform, and that continues to evolve. So things we can do today are pretty impressive, I think, and we can do a lot, but there will be even more and more down the road, and we're continuously building... The study platform, making it a better experience for participants, improving the capabilities, improving the types of studies and the study procedures that can be run through the study platform and that will just continue to grow and evolve over time and allow us to run even more complex studies in a very efficient manner.
1: I think that virtual studies will become more and more like products. They will become like an experience that really takes the participant for possibly what is a very long time if you think about some of the longest longitudinal studies some of them, like the um study, goes for, for a lifetime, right? So at that point, you start having problems of that are very similar to what people in technology have when they're building a product. You need to be engaging your participants. You need to make sure that they don't drop off your study. So I think there would be a component of more product people coming into the design of study and almost orthogonal dimension. I also think that we're going to see more of fast iteration during the study, especially interventional ones. If you come from technology and you want to test whether an intervention such like an ad works, you do A-B testing or you do even more refined strategy in which you adapt the size of the arms as you go. Uh, Of course, this is not as easy to do in the clinical world for safety and scientific reasons, but there is still an opportunity to push the envelope there. And I think we'll see more of this adaptive design becoming
2: real in the next few years.
0: Thank you both for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Is there any last note that you want to leave us on?
2: From my perspective, I just want to make it very clear how important adopting this type of research really is. There is a lot of value in digital health and in the digital tools that are available, but we need to actually realize it. We need to utilize it to better understand health outcomes, to develop digital biomarkers. We need to prove that the interventions, the new tools that are out there are working, and who do they work for? And I think as we think about personalized medicine, we often think specifically about genetics, but it's so much bigger than that. There's so many characteristics to any given person, and digital tools can help us to identify and characterize those things, and then better match interventions and tools to people.
1: Absolutely. I think, like Jesse was saying, there's a huge opportunity there. I think people are starting to realize that the signal is there and can help us explain uh, things at a more individualized level. So finally, moving towards personalized medicine that we've been talking about for more than 15 years now. It's finally bound to happen. What's really important there is to solve all the issues on the way, so these tools are not standardized, they change too quickly, and all the things that we hear, if you read any of the standard literature in clinical studies. So I really think it's important there that the regulators step in, just like they're already doing, and be open to dialogue with technology partners to make sure that this new way of doing studies fits into the traditional context of clinical studies.
0: Jesse and Luca, again, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us for this Clinical Informatics News podcast. To get more podcast information, visit us at www.clinicalinformaticsnews.com.